0: We are uh, continuing our series in Ephesians. This is, I'm going to be talking about living out your calling. As we continue this, how many of you know the good thing about doing a study through a book is that the topics are already picked out for you. Yep. All right? it, it's like you're just going through and you're sharing what, it, what is already there. Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to address these uh, issues in the church. And some of the cultural things still exist today. Right, God's word. He wrote it. It was over two thousand years ago. It's still uh, issues today. And uh, and I think about when you're reading a book in the Bible, uh, some every now and then somebody will challenge me with like, "Oh, you write out your messages." Well, I just get up there and I just share whatever the Lord lays on my heart, and I'm okay with that. But it, the idea is that unplanned speech is more inspired than carefully thought out, written out words. Right, and uh, how many of you know that's an interesting concept, but that's not scriptural because Paul heard from the Holy Spirit, wrote it out. The letters were written basically in the service to where all the churches heard that. All right, so there's nothing wrong either way. I believe that the churches Paul wrote to, uh, we know they struggle with division. They struggle with prejudice between Jews and Gentiles. Each of them felt they were superior to the other. And over the last several weeks, we would covered the first three chapters ...that dealt with some theological issues, some of the prejudice he talked about. As we get into chapter 4, it starts talking about some practical instructions. How do you live your life for Jesus? How to stay strong in your faith? How to serve in unity? How to impact your society? And uh, when it comes to being a believer, how many of you know everybody's got different ideas? Different thoughts, different opinions of what a Christian is supposed to be like, what we're supposed to do. Uh, Sometimes those ideas can be divisive in the body of Christ. And uh, actually some of the ideas of what you think a Christian is has actually brought damage to the reputation of Christ. Isn't that true? Oh, this is what a Christian ought to be. Uh, We can't base our beliefs or behaviors on opinions. We really can't because opinions change change. Instead, we need to find out through God's word, what is it, What is it really mean to be a Christian? Yeah. What is it really like? And, and I believe that people that obey what God says in his word uh, will stand apart from others. The way we act, the way we speak, my prayer is that you will find and discover I want to be a biblical Christian. Amen. Not your idea, not my idea, not somebody else's idea, not the big evangelist that's getting a lot of crowds because he's selling his idea. I want to know what God's Word says. Amen? That's the most important. So as we get into chapter 4, Paul starts out with just these few words. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord. And what's and he's staying there, he's restating what we already know about Paul at this time, that from Ephesians, he wrote that while he was in prison in a Roman jail. And so he's saying, as a pri- and listen, he wasn't trying to get sympathy, oh, you know, I'm suffering as the prisoner of the Lord, I'm really struggling here. No, he's reminding them that being a follower of Jesus comes with a cost. We all realize that, Right. There is a cost to it. And I think sometimes today in our uh, modern evangelizing people, we want to tell people, Hey, listen, if you'll give your life to Jesus, then everything's going to be peachy from that point forward. Right? No more problems. Everything's going to be wonderful. God's going to bless you. You're just going to be in abundance. Everything is wonderful. How many of you know that's not what Jesus said? That's not what He, uh, he says. Listen, in this world, you're going to have troubles. And he's actually said, because you love me and identify with me, other people are not going to like you. So we go through troubles in this life just because we live in a fallen world. But at the same time, if you choose to be a follower of Christ, you're going to face some other difficulties. Some people aren't going to like you. Anybody ever lose a friend because you were a believer? Right? Look at the hands that are up. You know, you may have been passed over for a promotion. You may have had things happen. But Jesus said this stuff is going to happen. Listen, we follow Jesus not because we're looking for a better, oh, I want my life to be better, so I'll try the Jesus option. We follow him because he loved us and he rescued us from a life that was destined for hell. Right? You don't hear that all the time. I want to serve him. God, I want to follow after you. And Paul followed after him even though Paul was told, listen, you're going to face a lot of troubles persecution. You're going to get stoned. You're going to get left for dead. You're going to be shipwrecked. All of this stuff happened in Paul's life, but he didn't regret it one bit. Paul is saying that, yes, here I am now in prison. I'm paying a price for my obedience. Because you notice he didn't start out by saying, Paul, a prisoner of the Romans. He didn't say that, did he? He says what? I'm a prisoner for the Lord. Paul wanted them to know that his difficult circumstances... Had not shaken his commitment, his faith, his confidence, his trust in the Lord. Yeah, I'm in a difficult situation. I'm in a challenging situation. But I'm still serving God. Amen. Right? I'm not, I'm not backing down. I wasn't promised this. Oh, life is going to be wonderful from this day forward. I knew troubles were coming. And so I'm still hanging on. So here's the thing. Sometimes we can read we can read, oh, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, and we just, you know what, that's great, that was 2,000 years ago, but I got real problems, right? <laughs> How many of you got real problems, right? You got bills, you got sickness, you got family issues that are going on, a lot of uncertainty. Uh, but I want you to understand, Paul was in prison in Rome with the full expectation that unless God delivered them, he was probably going to be killed for his faith. How many of you know that's a real problem, Right when, when he wrote, you know, when he wrote this in the book of Ephesians, you people better hurry up and get me out of here. I can't take this anymore. Organize a Facebook group. Start a GoFundMe campaign. <laughs> storm the gates. Do whatever it takes to get me out of this place because I shouldn't be here. This can't be God's plan for my life. Right? Did he write that? No. No. no because Paul's focus wasn't on himself; it was his concern for the church. He was concerned for people, so he wrote, "As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received." And uh, he's urging—that word "urge" there in the New Living Translation says, "I beg you, I'm begging you to live a life worthy of the calling." Those of you that that like King James, or King, they, he says this, "I beseech you," right? Anybody beseeched anyone lately? Right? Like, what does that even mean? It, that word is begging. You know, anybody have your kids like come up for uh, Christmas time and say, Mother, Father, I beseech you. I would really love this gift right here for Christmas. Right? We don't do that. I mean, that, that's just a term you don't really use anymore. But it really is Paul's pleading to the church, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received so what calling everyone if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior you've received a calling that calling is salvation and relationship with God how many of you know that's your first calling I'm called to salvation I'm called to a, a different lifestyle into a relationship with God something that we didn't have apart from him look what uh, Peter says in 1st Peter 2 9 You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who did what? Called you you out of. What did He call us out of? Darkness, Darkness, right? Into His wonderful light. So He's called us out of our dark past, out of an endless, out of a, a life that was going nowhere, into relationship with Him. So all of us are called by God. All of us belong to God. And so Paul's basically saying, shouldn't you live like it? If you've been called out of that and into his wonderful life, shouldn't our lifestyle reflect that? Shouldn't the way we talk reflect that? Shouldn't the way we act, shouldn't the way we think begin to reflect what he's called us into? And that's basically what Paul is saying. So then he goes in the, the next part that I want to get into, it's not just a list of rules in order to be accepted by God. Oh, do this and you'll be accepted. Do that. Instead, he's saying, listen, because you've been called into a light, this is how you ought to live. This is what should reflect in your life. And, and, and you may ask, is it possible to be saved without living the way that I'm about to talk about? Maybe. That's not my choice to make. But uh, I will say that if we choose not to live according that way then we begin to devalue the God who called us and saved us. Right? We begin like, oh no, I'm going to do what I want. So what is Paul telling us to do? What is he telling the Ephesians church to do? To live a life worthy of the calling. The first thing he says, uh, verse 2, be completely humble. Right? Not just kind of humble, not just a little bit. A New Living Translation says always, always be humble. And, and here's the situation you and I face in life. Everything, every person we encounter, every circumstance we encounter, we have a choice. We can either walk in humility or we can walk in arrogance. Yeah. Right? Oh, I know that. I know that. Oh, yeah, I do that all the time. Oh, yeah, I got that. And, and here's the thing. The Jewish, think about it. He's got He's got Jewish people and he's got Gentiles in the congregation. And because it was in Ephesus, most of them were Greek uh, in that situation part of the world. But the Jewish part of the crowd, they understood, they connected. Oh, Paul says to be humble. The Old Testament is full talking about humility. As a matter of fact, if you know uh, in uh, the first few books of the Bible, the Bible says that Moses was the most humble man on the earth. And uh, how many of you know who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Moses. Moses. So he wrote that about himself. (laughs) Right? And you think, okay, he could either be very prideful or he could actually, because the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, he was at, How humble do you got to be to be able to say you're the most humble man in the world? Right? Because I would not say that right now without it really being true. And it would be very hard to even say that. But well, first of all, I'm not. So, uh, but here's the thing. They understood humility. They understood that that was a godly characteristic. But can I tell you, in the Greek world... The other audience that's listening to Paul speak, that was a negative quality. To be associated with humility, they were basically saying, you're weak, you know? Uh, Position and title was everything to the Greek audience that was listening. Just a a modern day example, how many of you, anybody ever watched the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? Some of you guys, it's been around for a while. But the dad that was in that movie was very proud of being Greek and... uh, uh, he, uh, he actually said, you know what, every word, he goes, every word that's used in the world, I can tell you it's Greek origin. So very arrogant, I mean it was, it, it was funny, but he had this quote in there that I, I grabbed. He says, there are two <laughs> kinds of people, Greeks and everybody else who wishes they were Greek. <laughs> so that attitude was there, uh, even amongst the Greek crowd. What matter? What mattered to them was who you were, where you were from, where your parents were from what social status they had, you know, what education you had, your title, position, how smart, powerful, wealthy. All of that stuff was something to be looked up to. You know, they wanted to be strong, popular, respected, feared, uh, looked up to in every situation. And in their world, calling somebody humble was an insult. So they're listening to Paul and he's saying, be completely humble. That had to be a shocker to them. Because Paul, their spiritual leader, he says not just humble, but always or completely humble. Humble when you're dealing with people that are below you. Humble when you're working together with other people. Humble when you're driving your car. Humbling yourself. How many of you realize today is still uh, countercultural In our world today, right? So not just the Greeks. In our world, normal people don't do that. It's like no, I got to put myself out there. I gotta, I gotta boast about who I am. I gotta tell, I gotta toot my own horn because guess what? Nobody else is gonna do it for me. Right? So I gotta tell people how wonderful. Let me tell you what I did. Oh, let me tell you what I accomplished here. Let me tell you about my degree. Let me tell you about my job. Let me tell you about all the amazing things. That's the world we live in, am I right? But uh, what should be normal for a biblical Christian is humility. So the question is, how do we humble ourselves? How do we do it? And like I said, I, I think I, I talked about this a few weeks ago out of Ephesians, and I gave some ideas. I want to give you three more ideas to ponder. Uh, first thing that we need to do is learn to sell, uh, serve selflessly, right? Without getting all the attentions. do you realize it is impossible to serve with selfish motives? You can do it because you're looking for the pat on the back, right? You're looking for the fame. You're look, and, and what that is, that's not really serving, that's positioning. Right. Oh, I'll do this job, you know what? But what you're trying to do is you're trying to find your way to work up the ladder. Oh, yeah, I, I'll do that, I'll do that. But you're only doing it for your own self, right? That's called uh, pseudo-servant. You're not really serving, you're serving yourself. Those people that are like that, they only volunteer for positions that get attention and recognition. Right? What's going gonna, what's gonna, if, to... If the lights are on them and they get the microphone, sign me up. Right? If the position has a title or, or any kind of power, then they're ready to go. Oh, yeah, I'm ready, Pastor. Let me do that. The pseudo-servant even has a way to make that sound spiritual like, well, I've been called to be the leader. Right? <laughs> I've been called, I've been called to be a board member, or, you know, here's the thing, a person that is in pursuit of recognition is very obvious. Mm -hmm. We've seen it, we've been doing this, and there are people like, well, if I can't be the teacher, I'm not going to be involved. If I'm not going to lead it, then you know what, I'm not going to be there. If I can't sing solo, then I'm not going to be on the team, because i got a solo voice, right? And that's not me saying that, because I don't have a solo (laughs) voice, right? So, uh. Uh, I mean we we've seen it over the years, and I'll let you in on a little secret the people that that We've moved up into some of those positions are the people that we see serving when nobody else is looking Amen. Right, I mean that's the people that will stay after a potluck or some kind of thing to begin to clean uh, Rather than the person they're like. Oh, yeah, I had my food. See you guys. I got get going yeah. I'm out of here people that serve humbly. I want to tell you stand out from the crowd yeah. Isn't that true? The volunteer who does the things that nobody else sees. How many of you realize that there are people that every week come in and clean, vacuum, clean the toilets here? Unless you know who they are, you don't know them by name, right? But how many of you would notice it if they didn't come? Right? If you went in the bathroom and it's like, man, it's been about six weeks since this thing's been cleaned. That's kind of gross, right? So you don't see it, but let me tell you, you see their service when they're not there. And, and can I tell you, I just want to give you a couple of areas... Where uh, people serve selflessly, I think that they're doing it for the kingdom of God. One, uh, most churches struggle with getting people to serve in kids' ministry. How many of you realize that? Have you ever been to a church where they didn't need people to help serve in that area? Uh, Most pastor friends that we have, uh, it's just an issue. And for years we've wondered why. serving and Can I tell you, serving and teaching children is the most important ministry in a church. I got three amens out of that. Serving children is the most important ministry. You think, oh, well, it is right here. How many of you realize when you're dealing with kids, you are forming and you are building their lifelong process right there, right? right? It's not shove somebody in the back room, take care of them so I can get ministered to. No, it is building uh, this generation and the next generation, right? That's the effective. We are to hand this gospel down to the next generation, and we don't want to just like flip, hey, here, catch. Catch. Right? How many of you remember the relay races with the, the baton? They're handing it off. They're careful to put it into the hands of the next person. Like I said, not just toss it to them. Hey, I hope you pick it up. Hope you guys grab that. No, it's the most important. But here's the thing. We've heard all kinds of excuses. Oh, I can't do that, Pastor, because I don't want to miss the main service. Right? How many of you know that excuse doesn't work here? We've got two services. All right, you can go to one and you can serve in the other. Or guess what? We've got this amazing thing. We're being uh, live streamed right now. That recording is available. Oh, I didn't get to make it, but I can watch it later. All right. So that excuse is out the window. Another one is, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do to get in there. Can I tell you? Serving kids is really not that hard. Yeah, you may not be as better as somebody else, but you've done more difficult things in your life than serve kids. Amen. Alright, you've done more difficult things in life. And, and the reality is, if you love kids, that's the most important quality right there. Alright, if I can just love them. Another one we hear is, you, uh, uh, well, they don't, we don't hear this, but this is a reality. You don't get positive feedback from kids. Am I right? You don't, you know, sometimes when I preach a message, if, if, it's, if it's really good, I'll have people, Oh man, that was a good message, thank you. That really ministered to me. Uh, those of you that have served kids, how many kids come up and thank you afterwards? Ah, that was such an amazing message, Pastor Colleen. Wow, that really affected me right here, you know. I I feel like God's really challenged me in that. That has probably, you can probably count on one hand how many times that has happened in 30, 40 years. uh, But you don't get that. That's why it takes somebody selfless to do that. Another one that we've heard is, I'm just not called to that, right? That's our spiritual answer right there. I just don't have that calling. Somebody else has that calling, And one thing that we have learned years and years ago is that the need is the call. A humble servant finds a place to. And let me just put that up there. Humble people find the gaps and they graciously serve. They find a place to do that. Uh, Wednesday family night. We've been we've started that what a month and a half ago. Uh, Almost every uh, week up until this last week, Pastor Colleen has made a meal and then taught kids at the same time and that's a lot of work for one person this last week and i'm going to point them out but robert and dania uh, made some amazing tacos that was awesome and uh what what a blessing what a blessing there was a gap there you know you know maybe you get some compliments from people right there but for the most part we're getting our food and we're eating and then we're moving anthony's doing it this next coming week and uh, we're very thankful for that but i think it takes humble people to step up and serve, right? So I'm just putting this out there. If there's three or four people that would say, hey, I'll do it once a month, that would be amazing. Because our Wednesday night is not just another thing to do. It's something that we, we want to facilitate a place for teenagers, for youth, and for adults to begin to go a little bit deeper and if you've come on our Wednesday night it's a time where I'm I'm up here speaking but there's interaction there's comments there's questions it's a whole different situation than what we're doing here so i want to encourage you if you haven't come on a Wednesday night do it come out we get a great meal beforehand if you feel the lord telling you to hey i want to i want to serve a meal once a month to about 30 40 people uh, we would not say no is that right <laughs> so uh Those are just uh, opportunities there. Here's the thing. We don't assign jobs to people in order to humble them. But the reality is humble people, like I said, they find the gaps and they graciously serve wherever it is. Serving helps get the focus off of you. Because let's be honest. It's all about me most of the time, right? But when you begin to serve other people, then all of a sudden your wants, your needs, your desires kind of fall to the wayside and you're able to actually focus on other people. That's huge right there. That's humility right there when you can get your eyes off of you and onto other people. And listen, that's not saying you don't have needs. Of course you do. But God has an order and a plan and when you can begin to uh, put God first and you begin to put other people second then guess what? God begins to take care of your needs. Amen. I believe that. So, uh, sounds like the kids are having fun. Amen? <laughs> so, uh, secondly, how to humble yourself. First, serve selflessly. Admit your weaknesses honestly. Man, we don't like doing that. I'm just going to tell you, I don't like admitting my weaknesses. Is anybody with me? <laughs> right? Like whenever you did applications, like, list your strengths. Okay, well, no problem. List your weaknesses. Hmm. Well, I can't really think of anything right now offhand. So I just asked my wife and she can fill in the list for me, right? So, uh, we, calm down, right? We, we, uh, we don't like to talk about it. But let me say, humility is not false modesty. It's not a way to get attention. It's an understanding. When you have an understanding, I've got strengths and I've got weaknesses, right? Everybody has got some of both. And, and I believe that there is a connection between being humble and being realistic. I know what I do well and I know the things I don't do well. So the things that I don't do well, I try not to get into that lane. Uh, occasionally I might try to swerve into it, but I'm like, well, wait a minute, that's not my, that's not me. Look what Paul said out of 2 Corinthians. He goes, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, look what he says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Isn't that countercultural? Yeah. Why do you boast about your weaknesses? He goes this, so that Christ's power might rest on me. So he's saying there's a connection. When you admit your weaknesses, what you're doing is an a non- honest admission, you begin to receive God's strength. Right. If I can just be honest about it, then God can strengthen me in my areas of weakness. And guess what? God gets the glory. Amen. If we'll just learn to admit it, then we're opening the door for God to come in and fill those gaps. Amen? Yeah. Third thing you can do It's to be grateful when you succeed. Listen, when God gives you success, don't sit there and just point to yourself. Man, I did it. Look at this amazing thing that I did. I am so good. Yeah, oh man, yeah, I'm the best at this. No, Uh, a good rule. When God gives you success, make sure to give others the credit as often as you can. And always, always give God the glory. Let it not be just with the words of your mouth, but with your heart as well. God, I want to give you... Listen, in our world of self-promotion, self-exaltation, humility stands out, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. When you meet somebody that's humble, it's like, whoa, something different about you, right? You're not boasting about yourself. You're not telling all the amazing things. I believe that that attracts people rather than repels people Mm -hmm. when somebody's like that. So uh, to live your life worthy of your calling, let's move on. Uh, He says, be completely humble and... Gentle. So that's number two in your notes is to be gentle. I'm not going to go super deep into this because if you've been coming, we just went through the summer where we preached, talked about the fruit of the spirit. And gentleness was one of the ones. And I actually look back August 14th. If you want to really go deep into gentleness, that's when I spoke about it. But does anybody... I did a test first service. Nobody remembered. So let's see if you guys are better. Anybody remember the fruit that I identified with gentleness? Banana. Oh, several of you guys. Y'all paid more attention than the first service did. <laughs> so yes, it was the banana. Why is that? Because you've got to be gentle with bananas. Or else they bruise super easy, don't they? And then they're really disgusting after that happens, right? So uh, uh, gentleness, you have to be gentle. The dictionary definition of gentle... Is kindly, not severe, rough, violent, amiable, moderate, or mild. That's a dictionary. But when the Bible uses the word gentleness, it's a different de- uh, definition that we don't really have a word for. Uh, but this is kind of the idea right here graciousness that produces patience to endure injustice, disgrace, and mistreatment without retaliation, bitterness, or revenge. So just let that one sink in. If I'm a gentle person, then I've learned to endure injustice. Anybody have to endure injustice? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, disgrace when somebody makes fun, mistreatment. Because our natural response when those things, man, you know what? Guns are out, right? I'm going to retaliate. You know, That's not gentle. I've got to learn to, to uh, endure that and not allow retaliation, bitterness, or revenge. That's a different kind of person, right? A person that has that kind of gentleness, that it has kind of fruit. I mean, that's only by God. Because our natural response is very ugly, am I right? You see, the opposite of gentle is harsh and judgmental. That's really what it is. Many many people that are harsh and judgmental to others, they always want people to be gentle with them. Isn't that true? It's like they can be mean and vicious. I mean... We had some people at a previous church, a couple of ladies that, you know, at one moment they could be really sweet, but they kind of prided themselves on being, uh, telling other people like it is, you know, harsh, a little mean at times. And and I remember during a time that we had, a word was spoken to one of them and all of a sudden her feelings were hurt. And it wasn't even a bad word, it was kind of something in humor and it was like, Calm down, right? Why, you, you, want to be gen, you want to be treated gentle, but you're mean and harsh to other people. Like, what is that, right? I believe that gentleness isn't judgmental. Uh, we are gracious with people, right? Luke 6, 37, do not judge. Jesus said that. You will not be judged. Do not condemn. You will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Amen. That's what God has called us to do. Gentleness brings peace instead of trouble. How many of you know, if you're harsh you're not going to bring peace, right? If you're uh, short with other people on a regular basis, that's not going to bring peace. The scripture says a soft answer turns away wrath, right? In a church family, you know, work, family, home, some of you know there's always these little seeds of discontentment that pop up from time to time. Anybody ever have that in your family or is your family perfect? (laughs) Right? Uh, It happens in churches. It happens at workplaces, Right? Anybody ever been in a job and it's like, "Ah, you know what, people are all complaining and upset about something. And so there's these little fires that can start at times. Hurt feelings, they didn't treat me right, they said this to me. Anger, bitterness, gossip, anyway, all that stuff happens. And, And if you were here for the message that I preached on gentleness, I had shared that sometimes troublemakers, people that are not gentle, end up pouring gas on those things. That little fire all of a sudden begins to spread, but what is a gentle person is pours water. Let's put that thing out. I believe that there's something about a calm, gentle person that puts conflict in a better perspective, right? Like think about this. You got, you've seen the police shows or whatever where somebody's on the edge of a cliff and they bring in a negotiator to try to talk them down. Aren't they always like calm They're nice, they're like, hey, listen, talk to me. How's it going? They bring in the calm person to try to talk them off the ledge. They don't get Mr. Harsh Sergeant going out there like, yeah, your life does stink. Just jump, right? (laughs) What are you doing up there? You're so stupid. Get off the ledge. You're going to hurt somebody. Then we're going to have to clean up the mess down below. Just get out of there, right? They don't bring that person in, do they? How many of you know those people exist? Maybe not to that extreme, but uh, maybe they do. Calmness is huge. Gentleness is huge. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, that's one of the things we're called to do. Gentleness is strength under control. Okay, I've got strength, but I'm going to control it. And I believe that that is huge. I believe a church that is walking in humility and gentleness, then what happens is that this place becomes a place of healing and restoration for people. Because they can walk in, and they're not going to get slammed. They're not going to look down. Oh, man, you know what? You look like you got some real problems, you know. Well, woo, it's a good thing you're in here. You look like you're a real mess. No, we don't do that. We're gentle with people. We're patient with people. We allow God's Word to work in people's lives. Amen? Yes, amen. amen. So uh, let's move on. He says, be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Both of those are important. But again, I talked about patience a few months ago. Uh, who does remember the, the fruit on that one? Watermelon. All right, several of you guys. Man, I am so happy. that. Uh, oh, so be patient. Yes, it was watermelon. Why is that? Because the watermelon takes a long time to grow. You've got to be patient for it to come about. So uh, I talked more about it back then. But how many of you realize a lack of patience never makes anything better? I mean, I found that when you're impatient, are you happy? No. Right? Are you frustrated? Absolutely. Does it, does it make you just like, oh, you know what? I just feel the pres. If you come in and you're impatient, do you feel the presence of the Lord at those times? No. It's just like, you know what? I'm, I'm upset. I'm mad. And how about this? Have you ever been on the receiving end of somebody that is impatient? Right? How does that make you feel? Like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to punch that guy in the eye, right? I've got to learn some of that gentleness because that guy impatient with me is pushing me off the cliff, Right? Here's the thing. A lack of patience never makes anything better. We get frustrated, angry, short, all of that stuff. And uh, listen, I'm going to be honest. I can become impatient. I can be a very patient driver if I have nowhere to no time limit. I can just, I can be patient now. But let me tell you, the minute I got to be somewhere at a certain time, and all of a sudden that traffic, anybody feel me right there? Like all of a sudden impatience wants to come up in my life because... These people are in my way. And it doesn't even have to be driving. If you've ever walked through a crowd, let's say you've got to get to the airport, and you've got you to get to your plane, and there's like 50 billion people in the airport, and you're trying to get through, and they're just kind of strolling through, like, oh, look what's over here, you know? Oh, let me stop and tie my shoe, and you're trying to get around them? You're a little frustrated? Like, I'm going to get around you, and I might give you a little bump as I go by, Right? I feel that, right? I feel that as well. I can get frustrated. But listen, uh, when it comes to my grandkids, I understand they're two and three. They don't walk very fast. As a matter of fact, every little thing distracts them. Like, oh, is that a bug? Oh, is that this? Oh, what is that right there? Oh, they may trip and fall right there. But I don't lose my patience with them. You know why? Because I love my grandkids, it's like, isn't that amazing that if you really have love for somebody, your patience lasts a little bit longer? And, and I wonder, so uh, I talked about love, the very first fruit of the thing, that, that watermelon, that patience and love have something in common. I think there's, that's the reason there's so many strawberry watermelon drinks available. <laughs> because those things go good together. How many of you like those two flavors mixed together, right? The fruit itself, patience and love, really work hand in hand. They really do. My love plus my lack of unrealistic expectations, I don't expect my two and three-year-old grandkids uh, to keep up pace with me. I don't have that kind of expectation. That makes my patience a whole lot more natural. I don't have to work at it. Oh, man, I got to try to be patient. I got to try to be patient. Come on, Levi, get moving, right? I don't do that, right? All of those work together. But I'll tell you, when I am selfish... When I'm only thinking about me, if you don't meet my expectations, then guess what? I can get real impatient real easy. Yeah. Driving on the road, you know what our, when you lose your impatience driving down the road, it's because you expect that other driver to do what you're doing. Yeah. You expect him to go faster. You expect them to move out of your way. You expect them to use their blinker. <laughs> you have a lot of expectations that are there, and if they don't meet it, you're going to get frustrated with them. And here's the uh, the interesting thing. They're expecting, they have expectations of you too. Like I don't expect that person to be on my tailgate so I'm going to tap my brake a little bit. How many of you, don't raise your hand on that, let's move on. (laughs) It is, I just wonder is it possible that the answer to impatience is simply love? That I can begin to love people. Putting aside my unrealistic expectations, can you imagine a church... That is patient with people that are learning to find out what does it mean to follow Jesus. Why? You don't have your act together. You've been serving the Lord for three months now. What's wrong with you? Right? What's going on? Listen, are you patient with people as they're learning to grow in Christ? Can I express that? Humble, gentle, patient with others. According to Paul, when a group of believers get together forming a church, that's what it's supposed to look like. That's what we're supposed to look like. So... Be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Then he says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, making every effort to keep unity, how many of you know unity is not natural? No. It just isn't. I mean, that's why, that's why I have work towards unity because it is that four-letter word that a lot of people don't like. It's work, right? We've got to actually work for unity because... The reality is all of us are different, right? All of us see things differently. All of us think differently. All of us reason together differently, right? Like my reasoning skills, sometimes I just wish I could put that in everybody else's mind. It doesn't work like that, does it? Because we all have different life experiences, things that we've gone through, things that we've learned. And it causes us to see and to think differently, And when you get a group this big uh, coming together with that much differences in the natural, that is a recipe for disunity. That's going to happen. But the the only way we even have unity, number one, God does His part by bringing us together by His Spirit, right? That's God's part. He's brought us together. Guess what? Your part and my part is to work like crazy at learning to be gentle, learning to be loving, learning to be patient with each other. Why? Because we want to preserve unity. And I believe that for the sake of the church and the world around us, unity in God's church ought to be maintained. Because it does a disservice. Listen, when we don't get along together and there's bickering and fighting, how many of you know that's the worst testimony for the world? Like, why do I want to go there? You know what? You guys hate each other. You know, you guys are bickering against each other. We've got to make every effort. We must do the hard work to keep things together because that's what's most important. That means you and I being humble, putting others before yourself. That means us learning to be gentle, seeking peace and not trouble. That means us patiently bearing with one another in love, asking God, God help me to be patient with other people. Because unity is so important. And I believe that a church that is filled with those three things is going to have unity. If we have all of that. And how many of you know the flip side is also true. If you're not willing to be humble. If you're not willing to be gentle. If you're not willing to be patient. Then guess what? You have positioned yourself to be an enemy of unity. Against God's church, against yourself, against other people. When I choose not to walk in that, then I'm like saying, oh yeah, I want disunity, right? Right? I've got to learn that. And I don't think anybody would come out of their mouth saying that, but how many of you know our actions demonstrate that? So he says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is, look how many, I want you to count how many times he says one, there is one body one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. How many ones were there? Seven, seven, seven times Paul is emphasizing. Is he getting a little bit redundant like, come on, Paul, we understand one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Does he have to put in that so many ways? I believe he does. And how many times is the word all in here? One God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. How many of you know he's being redundant on purpose? Yeah. Right? He's doing that. He's wanting us to understand we are all one in Christ. All of us are one. With all of our differences that we have, all the different backgrounds, all the things, Paul is saying, since we are one in all of these areas, why are we fighting and dividing into groups? Why are we doing that? One hope, one salvation. Listen, we all got baptized and we come out of the water like, okay, now where's my group? Guess what? We're all in the same group. We're all going, you realize we're all going to the same heaven? I know I've shared this. There's not like an assembly of God part of heaven, a Baptist part of heaven, a Lutheran part of heaven. You know, you don't go to, oh, I'm non-denominational. Oh, well, that's over here, right? So you go over here, right? No, we're all going to the same heaven. Same God, all of that. I remember this uh, uh, years ago when we were in Colorado, uh, our senior pastor that was there, he was trying to get a network of pastors together that would come and encourage one another, fellowship and just have a meal. He never told me what church it was, but he said one pastor told him, I'm sorry I can't meet with you. We don't have enough in common to meet. What a shame. I know, it is a shame, isn't it? I still wish he would have told me. I felt like texting him and saying, who was that, you know? Uh, isn't that horrible? You know, we may meet in different locations as his church. That doesn't mean we're divided. Right? That doesn't mean, I mean, a month ago, maybe it was a couple of months ago, I had 14 pastors that were in this room right here. We were encouraging one another. We were praying for one another. They are from so many, I couldn't even tell you all the different denominational backgrounds. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. That's okay as long as we don't see them as the enemy. Amen. As long as... We, unity does not mean uniformity. Right? This church doesn't have to look like every other church. There's a difference that... There, you know, the differences that we have bring the beauty to the body of Christ. Amen? Right. Amen? Yeah, that is the body of Christ. What does he say? If everybody, was a, if everybody was a thumb... Could you imagine if every one of your fingers was a thumb... I think there's a reason. Yeah, well, that person's all thumbs, you know. <laughs> That's not a good thing. There's a beauty in the different uh, expressions in the body of Christ. We need to stop dividing the church. Unite around Jesus. Because I believe that when the whole church unites around Jesus, that we can change the world together. Yeah. Amen. Amen? When we're all on the same team... And yes, okay, you meet over there. That's wonderful. You know what? I'm not going to go and try to fish for fish out of your tank and bring them into my tank, right? Too many churches are trying oh, let me get the people out of your church. And I was telling somebody before the first service when we were in, uh, when we were in Colorado Springs, there was a new church that was starting up. And this was their radio ad. It said, uh, they put it on uh, uh, Christian radio. It says, are you tired of your church? Then come check out our church. You can have coffee and wear jeans and, you know. Anyway, they were trying to present this cool thing. I'm like, wow. You know, I'm like, I never thought of that idea. Let's get flyers and let's go start uh, flyering the other churches while they're in service, right? Are you tired of your church? Come to our church, right? How many of you know God? I don't think God smiles down on that. What's going on when we're like fighting against each other? And let me just say, I think it's a whole lot less today than it used to be. But the reality is, you know what? God is good. God is, you know, there's different congregations. There's different beliefs. But I think if we can walk in that unity and, and believe that, that my brother from another denomination is still going to heaven. If they're preaching Christ and Christ crucified and him is the only way. Then, then that, they're going to be up there in heaven with you. Amen? So what are some practical steps? First of all, I think you need to find a place to selflessly serve. I think that is huge for all of us to find a place where, where I, can, I can serve other people without getting this uh, recognition or honor. I'm not looking for that. And you don't, if you don't know where that is, uh, believe me, we can find a place for you. Right? Uh, whatever that may be. If, here's another challenge. If you've been harsh, critical, or judgmental, stop it. Yeah. Right? Right? Isn't that deep right there? Just stop it. Learn to be gentle. right? God, help me to learn to be gentle with other people. Help me not to be like, Oh, come on, can't you get your act together? Trust God's work in others and allow God to work in them. Right? Allow God to do that work. Begin to practice patience in God's plan and God's timing. God, help me to, to, to learn to be patient. Help me. If you've, been pra- if you've been having impatience, then maybe you should say, Instead of God, help me to be patient. God, help me to begin to love. Help me to love a little bit more. Help me to love that person that just cut me off in traffic, oh God. And I'm talking, I'm not, I'm not, That's funny, but I'm being serious about it, right? God, help me to begin to love. And before we say or we allow words to come out of our mouth, ask ourselves, does this promote unity in God's church or am I bringing division? Do whatever it takes to preserve unity. How many of you know sometimes that means shutting our mouth? Sometimes that means deleting a Facebook post. Boy, that got quiet. (laughs) Some of y'all are thinking, oh man, i got to go back now and i got to delete a few things, right? Listen, begin to connect with people that are different with you but serve the same Jesus. Begin to love them, right? Because God wants to build His kingdom in us, right? And we pray, you know what, as Freedom Church, this is where God has us. We want to make an impact on this community. But you know what, if another church is doing something that's reaching this community, we're going to cheer them on as well. Because we're all on the same team. We're all wanting to see God's kingdom established. So I asked the worship team. I didn't know what songs they were. Well, I actually I did, but I wasn't thinking about it. When I was preparing this message. We, uh, we sang that song, Build Your Kingdom Here. Amen. And that's a declaration, right? We're actually, that's a prayer. God, build your kingdom right here, right now. I know of, ultimately His kingdom is here. But how many of you know, even in our prayer, the Lord's Prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so you and I are expressions of the kingdom. Wherever you go, like what does that look like? You know, Jesus told uh, uh, some of the Pharisees, you're not far from the kingdom of God. What was he talking about right there? He was talking about Jesus. And when you and I reflect Christ, then we're reflecting the kingdom of God. We're reflecting love. We're reflecting Gentleness. We're reflecting humility. We're, we're reflecting Jesus. So when we begin to sing this song, we're saying, God, establish your kingdom. But we're saying, "In me first. I want to be a good reflection. And as Paul said it, started out, he's a prisoner in Rome, but he says, he says, you know what? I urge you, I beg you, live your life as a representation worthy of that calling. I want to be worthy of the calling that God has given me. How, would you, how about you? Can I have everybody pray before we sing? If you're here today and you're like, you know what, I have not made a... Co- can I have everybody stand up? If you can. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I have not given my life to the Lord, but I would like to. I would like to make a fresh commitment, a fresh start to Him. I want to do that today. The reality is all we got to do is Surrender. Just say, Lord, I want to give my life to you. If that's you here today, you're wanting to make a fresh commitment or maybe a first-time commitment, I just want you to just to raise your hand and just say, Pastor, pray for me. Amen. I see several hands. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can we all just say this prayer? And, and I know you, if you've been here, you've heard me say that it can either be just words out of your mouth, but if it comes from your heart, how many of you know God hears it? So I want it to come from your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, let's repeat that. Thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to pay the price for my sin and to give me new life. So today, I surrender my life to you, Jesus, and ask you to come and fill my life. I repent of my sin, and I turn to you, Lord, you've called me out of darkness and into your wonderful light. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. If you said that prayer, and, and if it was first time or whatever, we do have a book that we uh, we want to give to you. Uh, just come up and see Pastor Colleen afterward. If you need prayer as well, uh, we will stay after. I want to sing this song.